And we are live. I don't have to do that for as long now because I've gone all fancy with OBS and stuff like that. And so we're all, we're live on Twitter right now, Danny. Hello. Hello, Twitter. <laughs> Absolute pleasure to see you. <laughs> and we should be on YouTube as well. I'm open. Um, yeah. So how are you doing? Doing wonderful, man. Doing absolutely wonderful. So pleased to be here. So grateful to have you and just just have a great conversation. Man, you and the subtitle of this episode, by the way, is how to be the happiest guy in the world. And that's going to be the first thing I'm going to ask you. You're so grateful, so happy, <laughs> so such a nice guy, so open. And that I'm not a bit of guy. I'm not a bit of guy at all. I'm I'm a straight up happy guy too, but my British sensibilities stop me from kind of going as far as you. So I've just got to ask, man, how how are you so happy all the time? Dude, it, it's such a, a question that has so much nuance, but the truth is that I've seen the other side in terms of I've seen what what depression looks like. I've seen what anxiety looks like. And so because of that, because of, of being through some really hard times, like even this year and being able to go through them and, and be better from it, you, it makes you realize like every day is a great one. Every day that, that you're breathing is a great one. And I'm just, it's just crazy because I've been from a place that was, that was so this year I couldn't get out of bed. There were some days when I was just so in my head and it, it wasn't until I started to take responsibility for myself and my emotions that I really started to transform myself. So how did that look then? You said even, even earlier this year, mm-hmm. Let, let's go back a bit and let's talk about when you weren't the happiest guy in the world. What, what, what did you change to change that? A lot of things. And mainly my habits, my habits were the, the thing that was holding me back. Right. So if you look at my habits in early February, it would be open TikTok, open YouTube, open, uh, Twitter, and just get sucked into the machine that was that without any thinking at all. And it got to, it got so bad that I couldn't do what I said I was going to do. And it, it drove me further and further down a spiral. So Mm. what changed is that COVID happened and I was, I had to understand that that situation was making me upset as well, but I couldn't be mad at that situation. I I just had to take control of what I can control. So really a, a situation that has been so harmful and so hurtful for so many people. For me, it's been an incredible blessing because it allowed me to, to use that as a milestone and a, a checkpoint and revert everything. So I would, you know, do two workouts a day. I would read 10 pages of a book. I would meditate 20 minutes in the morning and night and doing these things allowed me to just be free. You know, it allowed me to, to start a new cycle and that cycle started in, in mid-March and now we're in October and I've been doing, you know, all those things for so long. So it's like right now you're seeing the person that's been working on himself for the past eight, nine months. And yeah, that, that's what you got here. So I, I know what you're talking about and you didn't, you didn't name it in person, but with, with, you know, we're talking about 75 hard. And before I let you talk about 75 hard, 
<laughs> I'm going to say sorry. And I've got to give you an, a, pers- a personal apology on this. Because I joined, <laughs> I joined the 75 Hard group with a full intention of going all in on 75 Hard. And I started it three times and then didn't get to the end of it. And, and the major streak I got was 15 days. So I, I think I'm talking as a, as a normal guy here, and you're talking as a superhuman guy who's done 75 hard multiple times, right? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm on my second time right now. But just so you know, in February and in January, I tried to do 75 hard after completing it once, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't get through two days of 75 hard. And I that drove me further down a spiral of being upset and being depressed. You understand? So yeah. I, I get it, man. I've been there too. You might look at me like, oh, this, this guy's doing it all, but I've been there. I've been in that position and you're better off because you're not depressed from, from failing it three times. Like I was actually depressed. Like my soul and identity was just ruined. It felt like, so yeah, I, I, uh, I wouldn't sweat it if I were you. Why, why do you think you felt like that? Why did you try it twice? And you didn't really, you didn't really stick to it. And then how come this time you've stuck to it and it's been such a transformative experience? Yeah. So I think I didn't have accountability that second and third time that I tried it. First time I did it, I completed it. I had accountability, but the second and third time I tried it, I had no accountability and there was, I was just me versus me. And I wasn't at that stage ready to accept that. And when I tried doing phase one, which is another component of, of 75 hard, it's like the second level for, for those who are listening or watching. It's like when I did that, it allowed me to, I was just, I was, I was able to do it because I had that accountability again. Mm. So you, you, I guess we should say what 75 hard is because I know what it is and you, you do, but other people might not. So what is 75 hard in, hard in the simplest fashion? Yeah, so it's, you do five things every day, basically. You take a progress picture of yourself. You drink a gallon of water. That's why you'll see me sipping on this water throughout the course of this podcast. <laughs> you work out twice a day, once outdoors. You read 10 pages of a book and you follow a diet and you can't have alcohol in this diet. You can't have soft drinks or snacks like it's real foods or whatever diet you want to make, but it's got to be healthy for you or clean in some sense. Point being, you know, that's, that's the, the program in a nutshell. And what I find really interesting about 75 hard is I only found out about it this year, and I think it was you who I found out about it from. I saw her on your Twitter. You said, I'm launching this uh, this Slack group to, for accountability for 75 Hard, uh, and I looked into it, and I thought, this is amazing. This is right up my street, because I'm a guy who grinds on everything, who's putting in hard work every day, and 75 Hard just spoke to my soul. And mm-hmm. that is even though I didn't complete 75 hard, I'm going to go back to it at some point. I don't know when that's going to be, but I appreciate the sentiment of it. And this is what I think is really powerful about 75 hard is that everything else that that you read, um, not everything else, but a lot of things is about having a positive mindset or it's about 
letting go of things or it's about making things easier. And 75 hard is the complete antithesis to that. It isn't about making it easier. It's about doubling down on the hard work. It's about grinding. And I, I hate the words grinding and hustle and all that kind of thing. But it is, right? That's exactly what 75 hard is. It's hard work for 75 days. It's the thing is when people, when I say love yourself, I always say love yourself on Twitter. But the thing is, when I say that, I mean to love yourself by doing difficult things. Loving yourself is not necessarily eating Cheetos on the couch, right? Loving yourself is by doing difficult things, you are getting better and therefore you're loving yourself. That's how I view it at least. And so, yeah, I couldn't agree more with what you just said. I think you're right. The The whole idea of loving yourself is giving up to the process and giving up to self-improvement and seeing that, you know, the be- being the best form of yourself and, you know, British sensibilities coming in again. I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole. But, you know, you're here. I can. It's cool. Um, the whole idea is improving. And that is ultimately how you love yourself by doing the hard things. I, I can think of all, all these years, you know, the last 10, 12 years or whatever, I've been interested in self-improvement. And every single year where I've thought, I'm going to take a step back this year. I'm not going to really do something daily challenges or daily projects is my thing and i've done it for the longest time and every year when i've not done one and i've thought craig you need a rest this year within two months i i'm a year back i'm a year back in time again and i feel like i'm not progressing and i feel worse for it what what are some of those projects you've done i'm super curious uh so i i first my first ever one i did was when I was 18 and I wanted to become a better designer. And what I did was design an A4 poster every single day for 365 days. So that was my first daily challenge. I think I'd seen the idea on the internet somewhere. Um, it was a big thing with designers back then that people were starting projects and no one ever finished these daily things. And it, just because of my, my mindset that I've got, I'm, I'm just... I, I, it's just the way I am. I, I do things to, to the end, to the nth degree. And I, I'm a masochist and I, I like punishing myself with things like that. So I wasn't going to quit and I wanted to see if I could make it to the end. And after I did the project, I, this is kind of like myself, uh, my 75 hard discovery, even though it wasn't that. I thought, wow, I've improved so much in, thir- in, in 365 days because I was setting aside an hour every single day to get better at my craft. And then I got to the end of it and I thought, well, what if I did this next year again? What if I did this with something else? So the year after I did it with, uh, I did it with photos. I was taking a photo every day, but that was more of a group project. And then I didn't do it for a while, for two or three years. And at this point, I was out of shape, by the way, massively. So I was improving skills, but my my I wasn't looking after my body basically I was like 18 and a half stone um I don't know what that is in, in pounds 230 pounds 220 pounds or something like that um I was I was very overweight um I'm about 190 pounds now or something and I wasn't looking after my body but I was doing these projects and it wasn't until maybe a couple of years after that that I did 
I ran a mile every day for 365 days. Uh, and I didn't quite do that every day, but it got me into running. And I was incredibly unfit. I couldn't even run half a mile, to put it in perspective. So that led me down the fitness path. And, and pretty much everything I've done to improve myself in whatever way it's been has been one of these daily projects. And the most transformative, I'm going to say that so much on this podcast with you, Danny, transformative. The most transformative one I did was doing a podcast every day for 365 days. I'd always wanted to do a podcast. And I think you can probably relate here because you've just started doing one. I'd always wanted to do a podcast. I didn't know how to do one, anything to do. And I decided on the 28th of December that I was going to do a podcast every single day the year after starting uh, starting January the 1st. I didn't even know how to do a podcast. I knew nothing. And I just, I just did it. It was terrible all the way through majority of the year. But it taught me about how to you know, speak better, to taught me to think better. I had, you know, amazing conversations with myself and others because I was doing a solo project. Most of it, it was a solo podcast. So I just learned so much about myself and that was the most transformative one I've done, a podcast out of all the random ones. That was this year? That was... Or last year? Two years ago now. Gotcha. And... This is, is this the same podcast that you, am I, are we on the same podcast that you did every single day? How did that work? Yeah. So I started a podcast about design, the very first one. And I did about about 180 episodes of that. Then I switched it when I was starting to go through the whole personal development journey. I switched it to a podcast called Get Doing Things, which is this one. And that remained a solo podcast until about a month and a half ago, where I started talking to people. And it's been another transformation then, having conversations yeah. with people. Yeah, I mean, that is exactly, I, I, first of all, I commend you so much for sticking with it, even though you changed the focus of it. Because that's why I named my podcast, the Danny Miranda podcast, is because I don't know how I'm going to change in the future, but I can bank on having the same name in the future, you know? So that's, so, but you know, in a lot of situations in the past, I've started a project and then halfway through, I realized, you know, I don't like this area. Like, let me do something else. Mm. But you were able to stick with it and stick and keep doing it, even though, you know, you changed the focus. So for that, I have tremendous respect for you for doing that. I I honestly think doing this is why I think 75 hard so powerful. I honestly think doing the daily projects, no matter what they've been focused on, has has built resilience in me to be able to do any kind of thing every single day. What you realize from doing something like 75 hard, what you realize from weightlifting, from running, anything that you do daily, like you've done, is that everything is the same. And once you have that realization that everything is the same, you start looking at the world like, oh, wow, I know exactly what it takes to succeed in this area. Oh, what if I do the same exact thing in another area? Oh, wow, that's interesting. And it's like kind of having the keys to the universe in a sense, because you know that if you don't stop, you're going to get better. You're going to get stronger. You're going to get like, all it takes is you not beating you. Can you not beat you long enough? Okay. Yes. You're going to win in the game of life. It's that simple. (laughs) 
You need to be a football coach, man. <laughs> I've been I've been told that I should be uh one of the strength and conditioning coaches on the sidelines. Yeah. Uh like there's these guys in the United States, they have like cut off shirts and like go crazy. And they just, their whole job is to motivate people and to get people going. And yeah. it's like such a dream job. I mean, it's crazy. Like if I could just sit here and talk to you about how to make the best version of your life, that would jack me up so much. Yeah. And and what I think is awesome about it and what um an important message I really want to get across is that the happiness and the reason you're so happy and the happiness that I get from these things is from putting in the hard work every day. It isn't from taking it easy. It isn't, ironically enough, it isn't from trying to make yourself happy. It's almost from trying to make yourself sad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I totally agree. And the crazy thing is what I realized from doing 75 hard the first time was that Throughout the program, I was looking forward to day 76. Oh, I I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait to drink beer. I can't wait to go out with my friends. I can't wait to do all these things. But I realized that the process of 75 hard was better than the party after. And this was a big aha moment for me because I was like, hold on, wait. I was looking forward to finishing this. And I thought that finishing it and celebrating would be better. But it actually wasn't. And if that's not better, if celebrating isn't better than the process, holy shit, I got to get back to the process. So that was a, a big insight for me. So are you on the second time around now? Yeah. So I did 75 hard. I did phase one, phase two, and phase three. It's basically 75 hard plus a few things for each phase. And then I started 75 hard the day after I finished phase three. So we keep the process going, baby. What What did you think to, to phase two and phase three? I didn't like some of the initial, I mean, I've got no, I've got no right to talk about them because I haven't been <laughs> first stage, but I did find that some of the, th- the things in the other stages felt a little bit janky, a little bit unnecessary. What do you mean by that? The, the, the stuff about, isn't the one about talking to strangers or something? Oh, that was the best part. That was the, I was so happy that that was included. Dude, when I first read that, I was like, oh shit, I don't want to talk to strangers. Like I have no problem communicating with strangers, but I was like, what's like, it's COVID. Like this isn't, is this going to be kosher? Is this good? Like, am I going to get sick from doing this? But that was my favorite part of the whole thing because that was something that I was a little scared to do. Yeah. And by walking into that fear, I realized how nice people are. Dude, people are so nice. And, you know, everyone from gas station attendants to neighbors to, you know, random people on the street, it's like I was able to just say, hey, how are you doing? You know, this is a crazy time. How how are you really doing? And And that was really powerful. And I was super grateful that that was included in the, in the challenge. So, so tell me about it. So in in phase two of 75 hard, you've got to talk to a, a random person every day. Did did you do it to the letter? Did you actually go out yeah. of your way to talk to somebody random? How, how did you approach it? How did you walk up to someone and just go, let's chat? Hey, how are you doing? You know, just like we're having a conversation right now, except 
in in person, you know, and and I found it really helpful to start asking about the other person or commenting on about the other person. Like someone's working. So there were there were some nights when I had to go to a gas station because it was 11 o'clock at night and I needed to get this conversation in. So I would go to the gas station, the only place open, and I would say, hey, how are you doing? Like you're working right now at 11 o'clock at night. Like that's crazy. When are you going to sleep? Like, do you always have this type of schedule? And you just start asking questions. And dude, you'd be amazed. People don't talk to people. Like the amount of times that someone said, wow, like this is the first time someone's asked about me and or the first time someone's cared. And I was like, oh my God, like that gives me such happiness. Like all it takes for us to make someone else happy is to ask how they're doing. Like think about how low the barrier of entry is to life, like, and to make others happy. So yeah, man, I was super grateful that that part was in the phase three of, of, uh, the program. I, you're completely right about that. Cause every time I go to a, a shop or whatever to buy lunch or something like that, and they always, they always say to you, hi, how are you doing? And I always go, Oh, I'm fine. How are you? And, and then they're, right. go, they're like, what you, you just, you just asked me how I am. That, that's not in the contract I, I don't know what to say next uh, people yeah. are genuinely shocked when you just say yeah, yeah i'm all right how are you and you actually want to know the answer it's crazy man we we have these scripts in our head and you know like we almost act like robots and me too like i'm not saying other people like i was this way for so long and i still do it to this day even though i know that this isn't the best way to be but we're in a hurry we have things to do we're we're just you know we're human beings but we we get these processes that like, oh, let me just pick up my coffee. Let me just do this. Let me just do that. And we don't think about like the other person in some situations. And when we do, it makes an enormous impact. It truly does. And that person then goes and passes on that positive energy to the next person they see. And the next person all of a sudden is happy. And dude, the cycle goes on and on. And, and we really have such an incredible impact for being just one person. We have such an incredible impact. How do you think it's affected you the most talking to a random person every day? And do you think you'll, do you think you'll keep doing it when you stop 75 hard? Yeah. So right now I'm on 75 hard and I don't talk to a stranger every day. I don't go out of my way, but what it changed in me was understanding that there's nothing to be fearful about another person, even in these crazy times. Like there's nothing like, dude, you go and, and you speak to someone and it just warms my heart. Like it's a way for me to feel good now, honestly, like a way for me to understand that most people are good people and kind people. And, and that's, that was the biggest change by far. So some of the other stuff in the phase three. So the way that 75 hard works, if you aren't familiar with it, the 75 hard phase one and phase two are the same, aren't they? Right. Uh, phase one, phase two and 75 hard are the same. Phase one, you add a few things, but and then in, and then in phase three, and I'm I'm looking at it now, the extra ones that you that you add is the five minute cold shower, the three critical powerless tasks, uh, random act of kindness, and talk to a stranger. But what's what were you doing for random act of kindnesses? So, what I found so often was that there's trash all over this beautiful earth. And what I would do often is I'd have, I'd be on a walk on my, my 75 hard walk, my outdoor walk, and I'd find trash everywhere. 
And I'd be like, oh my God, this is crazy. Like, what do you mean? Like, and so I never noticed this trash. It was always there, but I'd pick it up. And it's really amazing because people will, will comment. And and sometimes I'm picking up trash and some strangers talking to me about me picking up trash. Like, like, wow, that's so nice of you to do. And then I have a conversation with them. So it's like, it was, uh, it was beautiful. And I, I sometimes also send books to friends. I love doing that as a random act of kindness because I had to read these books, 10 pages. I've read so many crazy books now. And I think of a book and I'm like, oh, this person would be perfect for this book. And then I send them the book. And if they don't like it, that's fine. But I, I just send it regardless. What's been the best book that you've read? So this year, my most recommended book probably is Conscious Living or Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends on It. I've bought those two books for so many people. Conscious Living is by Gay Hendricks and it explained how my life changed. And he he put it like a, a step-by-step plan. And I was, when I read it, I was like, holy shit, like I followed this and I didn't even know. And I started living consciously. And so incredible book. And I'm going to have him on the podcast sometime in December or, or January. So I'm super excited about that where I can actually interview now, like one of my favorite authors, pretty crazy. And (laughs) the other is love yourself. Like your life depends on it by Kamal Ravikant. I read this book when in the beginning of March, when I was really down and I was like, like I was talking to you before, like depressed, anxious. And this guy, Kamal Ravikant was in a much worse situation than I was. His friend died. He lost his business. His girlfriend broke up with him. Literally every bad thing that you can happen. And he just started saying, I love myself over and over again to himself. And he saw his life transform. And same thing happened for me. Like I started this in early March and same exact, same exact situation happened. I, I just started saying it, no expectations. And my life transformed. Has anybody else noticed the difference in you? So friends or family <laughs> or stuff like that. And are you having those yeah. kind of conversations with them where, where you say, well, I did this and then they're not willing to do it and they think, or they think you're crazy or stuff like that. (laughs) So I'm super grateful. I am currently living with my mom and dad and I moved back in with them when COVID started and I'm so grateful for them because they are such beautiful people and they've noticed the change in me. But the most fascinating thing is I have this mentality folder, which I started reviewing in September of 2019. This mentality folder is just the type of person I want to be. And I read this three times a day. And I titled this folder, Danny Miranda 2.0. And I did this in September of 2019. My parents had no idea about the folder. In March of 2020, when I was starting to make my change and starting to to transform into this person, they started to call me Danny 2.0. So the name of the folder was Danny Miranda 2.0. They started calling me Danny 2.0. So to answer your question, yeah, my my parents, my brother, they, they've noticed it. My brother said, this is the craziest transformation I've ever seen anybody make ever. And it warms my heart because it's so genuine and it's so true, you know, and, and they've noticed for sure. Do you think you could do it without 75 hard now? Do you still need the discipline of 75 hard? Yeah. So I say this to people all the time. This is a great question. You don't need to do 75 hard. You need to be doing something difficult. And 
it doesn't have to be 75 hard for me either. Like I need to be doing something to expand my being, whatever that may be. That could be weightlifting. That could be a, 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 a hard goal. That could be doing something outside my current comfort zone. Whenever we are expanding, we are the, we are feeling good and feeling happy and feeling on top of the world. Whenever we are contracting, we feel upset. Why is this happening to me? So, I mean, that, that's a huge generalization, but that's, that's how I think about it. Yeah, you're completely right. We've got to be doing something difficult. But how do you com- convince somebody to do something difficult if, if they're not ready for it? Do you know? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Seventy-five hard's a big step. So I, I, I know, I know, seventy-five hard. I, it, it kind of encourages you to jump in, but it's it's difficult to do that from from the beginning. All those things, even walking twice a day, it'd be hard for some people. So yeah. h- how do you think you convince somebody to go from kind of the no difficult things in the life, those kind of people that are very comfortable in the life, and, and they don't see an advantage of doing difficult stuff. What would you say to somebody like that? I would say accountability is by far the biggest thing. Accountability is so important and it's the most underrated aspect of what we do on this earth because when I am accountable to someone I respect, I am 99 times more likely to do it. You know, it's just crazy. And the reason why I did 75 hard and I noticed it myself while doing 75 hard is that, so I did it with my friend Tej Dosa and you can follow him on, at, on, on Twitter at Comedic Bisman. He is an absolute beast. And what would happen is we would text each other at the end of every day. We would say, hey, I'm done with day one. I'm done with day two. And in the beginning of this process, I did not want to let him down. If I let him down, I would have been so upset. And I, I w- didn't want to let him down more than I didn't want to let myself down. And so I think that by the end, I was able to do it for me. But in the beginning, I needed to do it for him. So accountability is the biggest force that we don't use enough. And I think that for anyone who's trying to just expand themselves or do something difficult, get someone you respect, not like someone who's going to hold you back, but someone you really respect and get them to try to hold you accountable if possible. I think what, what helped for me a lot of the, a lot of the time before I kind of discovered Twitter and before I, I started speaking to people on Twitter and because where I live is a small town, it's Barnsley. Um, there's not a lot of people that think even where you are that generally there isn't a lot of people that think like we think so it can be hard to find those people in person so what I did was kind of look up to somebody who's already doing it I might not know them but and I'll never get a chance to speak to them but I look up to someone else so examples um for for me is well looking up to either somebody like you who's doing 75 hard or looking up to I can't believe I've forgotten his name you probably know who I'm thinking of the guy who runs every day it was on Instagram he does the the live streams like what's he called Hel- Hella Sidibe no I the, actually just interviewed this dude he runs every day the the navy, navy guy the not ex navy uh, ex navy no damn I can't remember his name I'm going to find it 
the the guy who's been on Joe Rogan a bunch of times. Joe Rogan loves him. He's bald. He's Jacka. The no, the other one, the ultra runner. Goggins, Goggins. Goggins, I say David Goggins, bloody hell. Yeah, so. <laughs> How many Navy SEALs do we have to go through <laughs> to, to come on David Goggins? I know. But yeah, but yeah he's I, the I, man. I used, I used him a lot because if you haven't got anyone around you who thinks like you, it can be tough. Uh, and accountability doesn't just, if it can be like you, that's amazing that you've got the same person you can, you can text them and you can, you can bounce off each other. That's amazing. But you can look at somebody like David Goggins. You'll just look at his Instagram profile and like, Jesus, I need to get something done today. Or you look at Jocko's. He's been up since 4 a.m. You're like, I need to get something done today. It's exactly right. And it's such a good point. If you don't have access to the people who inspire you like the internet you're listening to this podcast right you're you're watching this podcast you you have access to the world's greatest minds you have access to people who are pushing themselves in ways you you couldn't even imagine if you didn't have the internet so there's no excuse right like you literally type in jocko good on youtube right now like stop watching me stop Stop listening to me. Go listen to Jocko Good on YouTube. I, I listen to that at least once a month and it fires me up. Like yeah. Jocko saying good to every bad thing that happens to him. That's what it's all about. Like, and it rewires your brain because you, I would never would have thought that way without him. I, you know, it would have taken me a longer time to get to that point. So super grateful. What's next? What, what are you going to, what are you going to do that's, harder than 75 hard or is this enough or do you feel like now you've conquered 75 hard do you feel like you need to do something more difficult i mean right now i'm in 75 hard and i'm i'm doing it you know doing it to the best of my abilities every day and expanding myself and it's a good question and you can I say don't I'm know. wrong. The answer, you can say I'm wrong. If you don't see it like that, that's cool. But no, the thing is, I think that I will, you know, continue expanding myself. But it's like I I'm just so content. I'm content <laughs> and pushing myself. And, you know, there there's gonna be other challenges. There has to be, right? Like that's just who I am. I'm just gonna seek them out. And but at the same time. There's no reason to read page 72 when I'm on page 34. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I completely I completely understand. The the reason the reason I say it is because there's two ways to look at 75 hard or, or anything that you do every day. You you do it every day and you continue to just do it to the same ability. So if you started 75 hard the first time and all you did was a walk for 45 minutes and and then a little bit of a jog and you did that for 75 days and you never kind of increased it or made it more difficult i think you could get used to the process but also the the framework of 75 hard gives you the opportunity to get better and to improve yourself and keep pushing yourself within the framework but i the reason i asked i just thought are you are you signing up for an ultra run or do you want to become an ultra marathon or you know something like that yeah, no, I, I love lifting weights too much at this point in my life. And I, I just love the, the iron. Like that's, that's where I find my home. And it's, um, 
I don't know. It, it's just like, I'm sure there will be crazy things in the future because like you, you noticed before, like when you have this mindset, anything's possible and it's just a matter of, of putting your, your head to it. So yeah, no, nothing, nothing planned right now, but looking forward to what the future holds. So I'm going to hit you with a harder question then. You said you're content. Isn't that not the point of all this? Shouldn't you yeah, not so feel content? That, that's exactly right. And I'm smiling. But the thing is... The I'm not being, not being harsh. <laughs> no, no, I, I got you. The thing is, and I think that this is an important point and I'm happy you brought this up because I think that in some points in your life, you need to go harder at some aspects and maintain other aspects. And, you know, like... I'm trying to get better at podcasting right now. I'm trying to get better as a writer. That doesn't mean that I have to hit a deadlift PR in the same week. You know what I mean? And if we have this mindset of everything has to improve all at once and we have to just continue getting better in every aspect, like that's not really realistic. You need to think about what are you trying to improve? What is the thing that you're trying to get better at? And for me, when I first started 75 hard last year, it was mental toughness. I'm trying to get better mentally. Now I'm still trying to get better mentally, but it, that part of me is tougher. I'm tougher today than I was last year at this time mentally. I'm more capable of achieving a challenge. Now I want to take those skills that I learned and try to apply that to the area of podcasting, to the area of writing. And if I can do that effectively, then I'm good. And when I say I'm content, you know, I mean like I'm feeling happy about life, not like I'm going through the motions. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I know you did. But I, th- I think it's uh, it's a thing I've wrestled with a lot because my, my default state, and I don't know where this came from because my parents are amazing. They've never expected anything of me. And they've like, they've always encouraged me to do the things that I wanted to do. But I've, for, for as far back as I can remember, I've always had this thing in me, and it might be because I started reading personal uh, personal development books and self-help books so early, about 17 or 18. I've always had this thing in me where I always feel like I've got to be improving. I've always got to be getting better at something. So I never, uh, I, I don't see it as a flaw really, but it, as, a, as a thing within me, I've always got this thing where I want to be getting better. I want to be improving. I I always, I'm never content. So when I hear the word content from you, it's like a, it's like a trigger word for me because I know when when I'm writing down that I'm content, it means a different thing to me. It, It means that I've got to be, I've got to shake things up. I've got to be looking at doing something new. Um, but it's, it's good that you said that because that's the right attitude to have, definitely. At the end of the day, we want peace of mind, right? We all want peace of mind and we all want to feel as if we're doing the best we can. And if you really are doing the best you can, then you should feel content, you know? Like <laughs> like the point of, of doing all these things is not so that you hate life, like so that your life is more difficult, like that you're just more anxious, that you're more like, wow, I wish I could do a million more things. No, the point of it is to feel content. So yeah, that that's why I, I feel that way because I really do feel just at peace with life. What, what do you think you'll do 
with 75 hard and these kind of things if you get very busy i mean you might already be really busy so i might be asking the wrong question but <laughs> do, do you know what i mean what if you become yeah. a banker tomorrow or something and you're working 15 yeah. hour days what what, what yeah. do you think then what what's going to happen then i mean part of the reason why i'm able to do what i do is because I don't have a job right now. Like I'm studying, I'm in school. And so that is a, that's a huge benefit, right? In that I have time and stuff. But at the same time, I'm prioritizing myself over money. And I could go and get a job right now and I could, you know, make a lot of money and, and completely have no time at all. But to me, that wouldn't be a happy life. I wouldn't be content doing that, you know? And I just know myself. So I think it's important to know yourself and know what you value. Like for me, at this point in my life right now, I value money less than I value my own personal happiness and satisfaction in life, you know? I think that's an awesome way to look at it. Too few people look at it like that. And and I, I think even though you, you said you've got the time to do it now, the reason I brought it up is because I I personally think it's more difficult to do lots of things when you've got a lot of time because you're just like, yeah, I'll push it to tomorrow. I've got plenty of time. Definitely. I, I've got the whole world's my oyster. I can spend as much time as I want and it inevitably means, you know, inaction leads to inaction. So I think the situation that you're in now where you say you are learning and you study in it and you don't have a job, I think that's an even harder time to be doing all that stuff. Yeah, I've also found that to be the case when I've been super busy in school or, or have a, a lot on my plate, you find a way to get it in. You find a way to figure it out. But when you have nothing, you're just like, okay, I guess I'm going to go scroll through TikTok. I guess I'm going to just do whatever the hell I want, you know? So it's like, you, you think that, having no time, it would be a bad thing for your own growth, but in you could actually use that to your benefit in, in the sense of just having to put the work in when you need to. Talk to me about TikTok because yeah, I, I've used it a few times and I can already see you scrunching your face up. What, what, what do you think it is about TikTok that's kind of... I, I know a few people now, right, who've used TikTok and they've become addicted to it. And I've looked into it a little bit and I, I know about this kind of stuff because it's the sphere that I work in. I'm a designer, you know, we make apps and, and websites and stuff like that. So I, I know all these kind of techniques that they're employing. But what do you think makes TikTok so dangerous compared to the other ones? Their algorithm is, it seems like it's better and they have zero time that they wait to show you a video you open youtube they're not going to show you a video within 0.01 seconds you open tiktok they will and that's a huge difference and you're already open the loop is already open in your head and you're going to keep on going and i found myself getting sucked in to this app like for hours at a at a time like in one day and and in like February, I deleted it and I haven't used it since, but I noticed myself really just like entrapped in it. And, you know, I had a, a guy who's 
has like a million followers on TikTok on the podcast. And we talked about how it affected his brain. And I, I was so fascinated because he was a self-aware guy and he was like, yeah, I find myself getting sucked into it and I don't like it. I don't like how it's affecting me. So yeah, the reason why I also post on Twitter as opposed to anything else is because Twitter, I enjoy the most and I feel as if it doesn't take away my brain as Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok seem to do to my own brain. But, you know, like everyone's got to figure it out for themselves. I think what makes Twitter really powerful for me, and yes, it is a little bit addictive and you've got to get over that, but what makes Twitter so powerful is that you can just jump into somebody's brain and see their ideas. And Twitter yeah. is the place where everybody with the coolest ideas are going and putting their ideas. They're not on TikTok. They're not on Facebook. They're on Twitter. So you, you yep. when you jump on Twitter, where else can you go and read Elon Musk's thoughts right after you've read Donald Trump's, right <laughs> right after you go read Naval's thoughts, right yeah. after you go read pres- uh, President. Well, I guess he's, they're still calling presidents even when they're not president anymore, don't they? Obama, basically. You go read Obama's thoughts. It's amazing for that. Yeah. And it's a, it's really interesting because it, to me it feels like the most personal in the sense of, when someone's on YouTube, like it feels like it's it's scripted or something. It feels weird to me. Podcasts, you get it in the sense that this is a real conversation that we'd be having. But TikTok is like, oh, what can I do? And Instagram's the same way. So I feel like it's the most real and authentic. And for me, that's what that's what gets me. But before we go on, before we, I want to go on to a different topic because you touched on something that we. I've been thinking a lot about, and that is that people not from the United States, I assume you're not from the United States, right? No, UK. So people not from the United States have now become Americanized, it seems, where it seems like from my perspective, I could be completely wrong. People from outside the United States care more about politics of the United States than they do their own politics. And it feels like the globe is getting more Americanized. What do you think about that? Am I completely off? Well, to put it in perspective, I usually read the guardian. The guardian is a, is a, is a public newspaper is a a British newspaper, but they've got a global website and they've got the U S section now. And during the whole election that was going on for the last excuse me, that was going on for the last week, the entire top section of the website was taken up with US politics. Mm-hmm. A yep. live a live blog of whether Donald Trump had conceded and it's still going on now. Um, it was all taken over by U- the, the US stuff. Completely agree. Uh, a, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff, a lot of British culture is getting Americanized. Completely agree. A lot of the things, such as uh, the way that TV shows are made, such as such as the way that culture comes across to the UK, even the way that we speak, pretty much any person, a British person you speak to now, they say like all the time, like, 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 hate it, absolutely hate it. Um, a lot. So yeah, a lot of a lot of American culture is getting parted 
across to the UK. But with the with the election specifically, with, with the whole Trump and Biden thing, I, I think I think why it's why it's so popular in the UK right now is because of Trump, because Trump is just a magnetic personality and he makes good news and news isn't news anymore news is a drama it's a real life drama and it's if you've got good characters like donald trump regardless of what you think of him and i think he's a dick uh, regardless of what you think of him um he makes good news so he's he's been all over the news that 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 is the thing um so yes we i i know i've had conversations with people arguing with me about why donald trump should be having a second term in america and i'm like dude you're not even in america and i just said dude and i'm not american um <laughs> we, so you see i have had conversations with people about donald trump and i'm like that's doesn't even affect us man it's not even our president yeah that's exactly what i'm talking about and I'm, I'm not saying it as a, a negative thing. I'm, I was just commenting because I noticed on a different podcast I was listening to, two British dudes talk about the election as if the the results were going to deeply impact them and that and it might deeply impact you, but it was it was just really crazy to see. And it's so cool that you that's been your experience as well that you've heard that. And I don't even know if it's good or it's bad or I don't I don't have any opinion on it. I just think it's fascinating that one culture has gone to a different culture. I think that the biggest thing about it all and why it has a big impact, specifically the Trump and Biden thing, and this and this is something that we've seen moving globally, this is spread across Europe and this is spread across America, uh, and you'll hear the term post-truth society constantly. Um, have you come across the term post-truth society before? No, but I can guess what it means yeah so trump and other more right-leaning politicians now sit in this kind of reality where truth doesn't seem to matter that you can say anything you want doesn't matter what it is and you can just keep saying it over and, and trump's doing it right now you can keep saying it over and over and over and eventually it either becomes truth or people don't care or they prefer the the version that you're telling so there's a lot of people that's been talking about this this whole post-truth society and and populism and things like that. So why tr- why everybody's been so interested in Trump is because there's been a huge rise of of popular. I don't know how much you're into politics, so I'll I'll keep it fairly basic. Um, there's been a huge rise of populism, and populism is just uh, politicians who just say the thing that everybody else already thinks. You know, so so Trump puts himself across as an everyman doesn't he he says he says the things that he thinks your average person in america thinks and we and, and our prime minister at the minute is boris johnson and he's cut from the same cloth he's a populist as well so the reason everybody has turned their eyes to america right now is to see if trump gets defeated because people most people see trump's influence and rise of populism and the rise of a post-truth society has been a very bad thing so if they can see if they can see trump get defeated in america that potentially has a huge knock-on effect in places like britain gotcha and it already kind of has 
because in the UK, just today, one of the one of the kind of key advisors to Boris Johnson has stepped down, and he was wow. he was kind of like a a very he was cut from the same cloth as Trump basically, and we were living in a, in a little bit of the kind of world that Trump has has made, so it's already making big differences in the UK. When you say post truth society or that makes me think of something that scares the living hell out of me. And that is deep fakes that deep fakes. Are you familiar with deep fakes? Oh yes. Dude, that scares me so much because I know we're already living in that place where what we see on the internet is very possibly not real, but like now it's getting to the extreme where it's like, People are not people and they're becoming influencers, but they're not real people. And that scares the hell out of me. And then videos aren't real videos. Like, how do you know what's real anymore? How do you know it's fake? Like, this is a huge, huge problem. And whoever solves it is going to be a billionaire. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've, right? you've, you've got to argue as to whether they want to solve it or not. Because does, because does the... Uh, no, go on, I'll let you speak. Well, I was going to say that there's a real incentive to solve the problem of deciphering what's real and what's fake, because if people can't know what's real and what's fake, then they can't exist in the world. They can't. But but the crazy thing also is that two things could be different and also and two things could be contradictory, but they also could both be true. And that's but that's a different issue entirely. But. Yeah, I think it's very important to figure out what's real, what's fake, at least from the perspective of people speaking it, you know? I, I, I completely agree. Uh, I absolutely agree. And that's that's why people have been looking looking at Trump and the situation that's developing and seeing how that's going to impact their country too. The the one the one cool thing about deep fakes is that well, let me t- let me let me tell it you and see if you think it is cool. The, the the one cool thing about deepfakes is what a future might hold is an actor could just license their face to a film and not even have to appear in a film. Is that cool or is that bad? I don't know. I, I'm so undecided because I think that there's a certain, and this is, wow, I'm starting to sound old already and I'm only 25. It's like, there's a certain beauty in writing. There's a certain beauty in in acting. There's a certain beauty in creating. And when we lose that, we give up a part of what makes a human being a human being. And I'm sure people were saying the same thing about the internet. I'm sure people were saying the same thing about every new technology that's come about. But I think that it it's bad for us to give up who we are as human beings. And what makes what part of what makes human beings so amazing is creation. And so if you could just, but I guess there's another part of it too, is like maybe somebody is creating that, that deep fake. So that gets outsourced to them. I don't know, man, the whole thing is totally above my head and, and just really crazy. It's going to be a crazy world. I, I think you touch on an important point though. The, the important point of creation is that it's done by a human. And that, that is a, that is a world that we're straddling right now that could go one way or the other that, that, that there's just something that's more powerful i mean there's there's a common phenomenon called um the uncanny valley have you heard heard of that before no 
No, so I haven't heard of that. The Uncanny Valley is... So, we, so we've had the computing power to be able to make 100% photorealistic animations and digital versions of people for a really long time. So, so if you think about Toy Story, for example, the first one looked really rubbish. The latest one looks a million times better. But you can still tell that they're not people. But, well, they're toys, so, you know. But any animation you can think of, if you think about a Disney film that's animated or a Pixar film and stuff like that, they'll never, they'll never make people look 100% real. Because when you make somebody look 100% real... This, this is a phenomenon in animation called the Uncanny Valley. And it, it, it comes from when they tried to do it a really long time ago, where they made people look 100% real. A human can detect that they're not a real person. So if, if I showed you some footage right now, just like a deep fake, for example, if I showed you some footage right now and told you, this is a person talking about X, and you watched a minute clip of it, there's something in your monkey brain that knows that it's not a real person and it makes you feel uncomfortable and that's what the uncanny valley is where you feel weirded out even though it's meant to look real and i think that's the what, same, same thing with what about writing. photos yeah I, I think it applies to photos too basically faces I don't think so. I mean, I, I saw a bunch of Google photos, uh, AI-generated photos, and they look so real, and I had no idea. And I would never have had any idea unless I saw the caption that said these were AI-generated photos. But I know what you're saying. It's That's a crazy concept, and it's uh, it's good, I guess, that we have that programmed into us that we could tell real from fake, but maybe just our computers aren't good enough yet. I think... I've done a talk on this before where the talk was called How to Keep Your Green Onions. It was a design talk. And the whole talk was structured around green onions. So green onions is a very, very famous um, funk song, uh, really classic song. Google it after this and play green onions. You'll know what it is straight away. Um, And the song was written about 70 years ago or something like that and it's timeless it sits in a space and time where you could play it in a thousand years and it wouldn't feel out of date wow and there's a lot of things you can think of like that that's classic you you know classic films and things like that they look out of date maybe because of technology but they're just classic aren't they? they're just classic stories that you could continue to watch you're not bothered by it and the point I was I was getting at in the whole talk, and, and this relates to what you were saying, is the reason that they're timeless is because the stories that were told during the piece, they were made by a human who just injected it with some kind of soul. It's just got a bit of a a human element in it, just just that little bit extra that you just can't put a finger on. And I think that when we start to think about computers making faces or computers making music or computers writing words or blog posts and things like that, you can't replicate the human soul and you can't, the, just a little bit extra that a human can give to something. A computer follows the rules because it's been written by a human. But when a human does something, they might just break the rules ever so slightly, just just to make it just a bit better. You know what I mean? Just a bit of soul 
it's a a very beautiful way to look at the world and i i think we can look at the world that way but what what comes up in my mind as a rebuttal is like what about the what how come my spotify playlist can create a playlist better than i can you know like stuff like that where ai is doing things so much better but it's um it's really interesting when you when you think about what makes greatness, right? Like I've spent a lot of time thinking about like what makes great art and your thesis in part is that it's because of the soul that's, that's touched on that piece by that, that human being. Yeah. I I think the soul means different things to different people. And I think when we're talking about creative work, the soul can mean a lot of different things. And I don't necessarily mean, I don't necessarily mean, like a a religious kind of connotation to it i just mean that the way it's been made by a human and the human that made it was imperfect that another human could never make the same thing the same way so if i wrote a song and you wrote a song and we said we were going to use the same lyrics and the same kind of musical structure and everything because me and you were different we just it'd just be different and that and there's certain people, creators, you know, famous creators, musicians, and film writers, and uh, you know, you know, directors, and things like that. They've just got that thing, that just, just that extra thing, that soul. And and when they make something, they impart that piece of them onto that piece, and nobody else could ever make it that way. That's kind of what I meant by it. I think that's such a great point, and I also to add to that is I think that they couldn't make it that way again the next day. And this is something crazy that I've been thinking about. It was just like, if we had the same conversation, you gave us the same exact topics. You, we, we said like, okay, this is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about happiness, 75 hard. We're going to throw in a little politics. We would have had a completely different conversation yesterday and we will have a completely different conversation tomorrow. The fact is at this point in time, we created this piece of art and that's what a conversation really is, just a piece of art. That's what every creation that is, is just a piece of art that if it was made in a different moment would be slightly different. And that's why you hear people like Joe Rogan talk about, you know, I don't know where that joke came from. I have no idea. Like I didn't say that joke. And I think every great writer, every great, you know, person who's created a movie or actor, they'll say the same thing. It's like, they don't know where that genius comes from. It just comes from someplace and you just have to grab it in that moment and hope that no one realizes that it wasn't really you who did that. It was just something else that gave you that power. <laughs> I completely agree. That That is a beautiful point. Uh, I'm going to leave it on that point because I don't think I can improve on it. I, w- <laughs> I had a little bit of a story. I'm not, I'm not going to say it because I want to leave it on your point because it's amazing. Um, thank you so much. For this danny it's been awesome it's exactly what i hoped it were going to be you are literally the happiest person in the world that i know and i hope that never changes um do you want do you want to say anything to finish up no this was just a great conversation i'm so blessed and so grateful to have this conversation with you man i, I really appreciate all the kind words and i really appreciate what you brought to this conversation oh man you, you're just perfect, you're just perfect. anyway 